Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com, State Farm, and TireRack.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 206. I'm John Davis, and we've got our normal group uh, around our table in Studio C at MotorWeek World headquarters today. We've got lots of vehicles to talk about. We're heavy on BMWs today. We're going to be talking about vehicles that may have gone to the dog, and that's we'll, we'll turn to Stephanie for that. And also some new intros from Lexus and Cadillac. But let's start at the top. BMW, we've recently had in a Trio, the 330i, the X5, and the new big X7. Brian Robinson, let's start with you. BMW 330i, I think it's the seventh generation of this classic uh, rear wheel and all wheel drive now uh, sports sedan. Give sounds, us an overview. What do you think? Sounds about right. And uh, we actually did have a rear wheel drive only version of the 330i, which was nice. Usually they uh, force X drive on all their test vehicles. So that was a little bit refreshing. Um, everyone wants to uh, say that the 3 Series is back. I'm not sure that we'll go that far. Uh, they certainly brought a little bit of steering feel back. That's always been the biggest complaint. Uh, but by and large, I think they've made a statement that they're they're moving on from what they were. Uh, they keep cramming more and more technology, more and more luxury into it, which is what the majority of their buyers want. Uh, still a fun car to drive, though. You know, we used to call that size a compact sports sedan. That's a big car now. Everything's big these days, for sure. <laughs> I liked driving it. Uh, I thought it was still a little on the, the softer side. But, um, you know, the thing about the 3 Series, the last couple of generations, even when you think they've gotten a little soft, when you push them, they do very, very well. So They do. I, I loved it, as a matter of fact. And, of course, there's a couple of things I didn't like as well. But I tell you what, the first thing I did was put it in sport mode and take my back roads route home. And um, that car has a ton of power. For 255 horsepower, right. it feels like it's got a lot more than that. I was even okay with the automatic. It was well sorted out in sport mode, and it was the power was there when I wanted it, and I seemed to be in the right gear. And it bums now onto the things I didn't like. The um, digital gauges, everything's pushed out far to the corners, and it's hard to see, which is fine. As long as you give me the option of changing the entire screen over to like a digital representation yeah. of round analog right. dials, how hard is that to do? Come on, guys. every it's it's actually pretty common. Yeah, sure, but that wasn't available. Yeah, <laughs> but it did feel small and uh, tight and nimble. And you know, if you if you want a three series these days, you got to get a M1 or a, or not M1, but a two series. <laughs> Which really is is kind of taking the place of what most of us remember the three series as being. Mm -hmm. Stephanie, did you spend any time in it? I didn't have a chance to yet. Did, you traveling. did see it. Did, so yeah, from, I, I like the look of it. Mm -hmm. Do you find, did you find it too big looking to you? Because I know you don't like really big vehicles. It does look a little little too big. I was, I was surprised at that. I guess when the first time I walked out, I was like, wow, this is not a five. Um, the uh, X5, the, the uh, SUV that started uh, BMW down this road, uh, we recently had in the X-Drive 40i with the 3-liter turbo i6. Um, comments. It seemed totally evolutionary to me. And, and again, just loaded with all the newest technology. Yeah, I love the uh, outward design, too. I mean, 
Granted, though, it does look a lot more stately and it, luxurious it, than it's, it does. It's taller now. It looks like, I mean, if you walk up to it, it looks taller. Yeah. Like Everything's more, more vertical. Vertical. Yeah. I think maybe when we get to the X7, I think we can talk about that even more there. And to me, that portrays less of a sporty image and more of a, yeah. a status symbol just yeah. kind of image. Like, blam, I look like a... a Grandfather clocker. <laughs> or at least like I could carry one if I had to. <laughs> Great driving vehicle. Um, you know, amazingly uh, capacity on the inside, I guess, again, from that, that kind of upright uh, stance. Uh, I've got a lot of friends that have bought these over the years, and, you know, they saw it, and it's like they're very comfortable with what it looks like. They just feel like, you know, it's more, more and better of the same. Anyone else have... And a comment. I mean, it's it's it, a winner for him. It handled great at the track. It's definitely uh, it's definitely there's performance lineage there for sure. Now, up till now, you've been able to get a third row in the X5, but BMW's not really had a three-row SUV per se with real legroom in the third row. They do now. Uh, the new X7 XDrive 50i. I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but what a beast. I mean, it's big, it's heavy, it drives well. It's got so much technology on it, I honestly think you need a year in college to figure it all out. <laughs> um, you've been, you've spent much more time pushing it than I have. Comments? Is, um, it, is it a real BMW just upsized or what? Well, it's a real BMW in today's <laughs> definition of a real BMW, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> which is luxury which is, and performance and maybe a little bit more L and P. Yeah, I mean, the luxury, the, the performance is there, but um, you, I wouldn't say you have to look for it, but you can easily drive it uh, very casually and comfortably without knowing that it's a performance car until you step in the pedal, and then it, it just changes hats right there. It's all in one. Yeah, over-the-top luxurious inside as far as the... Uh, all the leather stitching everywhere, and wood, the shifter's got like a crystal. Yeah, that look crystal looked that That's was beautiful. that caught me off guard. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't expecting all that. <laughs> yeah, me and either. We had the uh, the twin turbo uh, V8, so plenty obscene amount of power uh, for that vehicle. Almost five, what four fifty six? Almost five hundred. Third row, plenty of room in the third row for me. I mm -hmm. sat back there. It's it's got a power folding for the second row, which is super easy, but it takes like forever. Uh, I don't know if you got kids like waiting to get, climb in the car or whatever. It would be frustrating, but uh, plenty of room back there. Surprising amount, I thought. Those M brakes on there, that thing really came down yeah. quick too. You know, it's got a sensor on the second row that tells you if after you've gotten into the back row, if you haven't latched the seats back mm -hmm. properly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's been on for days, <laughs> but it's and and the uh, it's got so many sensors now. One of the things when we were talking about the around the office, um, and we didn't mention it with the 330i, the 330i was the first three series, is the first three series with gesture control, and the, the 7's got it. We, I think you have to have the technology package with it. Has anyone had a lot of experience trying to use the gesture control? I mean, this is not new. They've had it for a couple of years. Cadillac tried it for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've experienced it. Sometimes it works well, sometimes and it doesn't. And that's it. It, it depends seems, yeah, on what it feels like doing that day. Whether you point but. at it or you twirl your hand. Have car makers gone too far at this stuff? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a cool circus trick to show friends when they get Hi. in for the first time. Watch, I can magic. But I'm serious. If there's nobody to watch you do that, you're just going to grab the knob and turn it up. <laughs> 
it's the wow factor. I guess Bragging so. rights to your friends. Look what my yeah. car can do. Yeah. Well, if you've got one hand on your phone and one hand eating a sandwich, <laughs> you can do it, so. a lot is more. And, so. yeah. and your tongue on the steering you can wheel. Just, yeah, wave the sandwich at the uh, display and get things changed to what you need. <laughs> <laughs> that's your that's your outlook on I don't I really I think that's pretty sums it up well we'll should get into in the rant and raves you know how many I found a new use for horns it's now to tell people to put down their cell phone and go when the light turns green well you know what happens well when you do that is then they just hit the gas yeah and then wow. someone coming from the other direction yeah that was waiting for them to turn yeah they're not turning so they go you honk your horn, they hit the gas, and now both are in the middle of the intersection. Four-way stops are not yeah. kind to them. Wow. Yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen more than one person get uh, run into somebody mm -hmm. else for mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. doing that very thing. Mm -hmm. And this is in dry weather. All right, we're going to move on to uh, a, a topic we have never in all the 205 plus this one podcasts we've done that we've never talked about on a podcast. And Stephanie, this is a uh, FYI feature you just finished and has gotten quite a bit of attention. It's dog-friendly vehicles. Mm -hmm. Kyle, give us a, a wrap-up of what you found when you went looking into this topic. Mm -hmm. Well, I love dogs myself. I know you love dogs. I'm you a have, big dog you guy. You have a few dogs. So there's yeah. so many dog lovers out there. So this was a really important topic and good information to get out there to people. Um, we went to Tintin Falls, New Jersey, and we paired up with Subaru, and we rode in a couple of Subarus with the dogs. And we found that a low ride height is really important so that the dog can easily jump in and out. Especially as they get older. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone through that with many dogs, and I think you we you part of one one place in your feature you showed dog ramps, which I had some long time ago. They came in here to the show, and I took them home for a while, and they were so bloody heavy I could hardly lift them. But then you got to train the dog to go up the dog mm -hmm. ramp, and some not of all of them are scared. Uh, absolutely, it was like, hey, mm -hmm. that's not wide enough for me. Minivans, I think, is probably the ultimate um, dog vehicle. But was there anything else that that you go off the top of your head, like interior features or something that you should be looking for? So a spacious interior, roomy, easy to clean seats. Easy to clean seats, yeah. Multi-zone automatic temperature controls. Right. Air suspension, tinted rear windows. Oh, that's a good one. Conversation mirrors and camera systems. Very good. So you can keep an eye on them. Right. <laughs> I so can tell you how important that is on a long trip. Essentially, the best features of a family-friendly vehicle is also the best features of a dog-friendly vehicle. So you want to think kids, dogs, after all, pets are like our children. Right. So that's what people should really look for, bottom line. A lot of manufacturers have spent a lot of time talking to the dog uh, dog owners. I know uh, Honda has. Uh, they had, I think, a CRV a few years ago that had a lot of uh, dog-friendly features. The Element, of people course, really was very want popular. People really to bring that back. Yeah, I bet they did. I heard a lot of buzz yeah. recently when I was away on a trip. And uh, I saw that Land Rover Range Rover, probably because of so the popularity of dogs in their home country, uh, uh, that they've, they've been putting a big push lately uh, for dog-friendly vehicles. So does it make you want to go out and get another one? A dog? Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> a dog. Dog a first and a car second. Right. For the dog, yes. Right. Uh, we're going to stick with Les Le Leslie, Stephanie, for a few minutes. Help me, video. Um, you went to two unveilings recently, uh, and and this is a new trend for automotive journalists. A lot of times, these unveilings do not uh, have uh, uh, 
uh, cars present to drive, just basically there for you to look. Uh, the first one you went to is the new Lexus RX, their most popular model, uh, the one that actually probably saved the company. What can you tell us about it? So that was um, basically the vehicle that created the luxury crossover segment two decades ago. Well, and that's what is, they claim. That's what they Land claim. Land Rover would argue with that. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. This is Lexus's best-selling vehicle, the RX. And the fourth generation was unveiled at Playa Studios in L.A. last Wednesday. And I was there when mm-hmm. they lifted the curtain off the, the car. And it looks really good. It's a light, light refresh. And, John, you'll be happy to hear this. They totally revamped the infotainment system. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. So, did I assume it's easier to work, but does it still have, do they put any more manual controls on it or what? So, a lot of people complained about the touchpad. Right. So, the touchpad is still there, but you don't have to use it if you don't want to. You can now just press the touchscreen on the infotainment system. So, they updated it. That vehicle really seems to be the go-to vehicle for so many people that want a luxury SUV but really know zero about vehicles. Mm-hmm. So they didn't – did they soften the styling at all? Because a lot of people are – some of the older owners, I should say, like my age, they're not happy with how far Lexus has gone and that chiseled look. Did it mm-hmm. much better? They probably didn't do anything more than just alter the grill a little, I suspect. So the grill is just slightly yeah, altered. Yeah. Just slightly. I mean, it's even sort of hard to tell, but slightly. The headlights and taillights are thinner. And, um, it seems it's, which is trend in part of the This time around, it comes with paddle shifters, and there are more standard USB ports. I believe six USB ports. Uh, important. So that's good. 18-inch wheels um, and an 8-inch standard touchscreen. You also stay on the luxury kit uh, were at Cadillac when they unveiled the uh, the first ever CT4V and then a CT5V. So give us a rundown of this. This is now they now have three uh, V series sedans. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. So CT4V and CT5V were are the first ever. So this was the first ever time we got to look at them. We were in Detroit there last Thursday to see them. And the highlights are Super Cruise, all-wheel drive, magnetic ride control, which enhances ride comfort but doesn't sacrifice performance. What did anyone comment since everybody else has dropped, including most GM brands, dropping sedans? They have a very strong sedan lineup. Was there any comments made about that? Did you know that they have still have faith in sedans, or is this just to keep up with the with the Europeans, or what? They said they still have faith in sedans, and they think it's a strong market. They described both of these vehicles as dynamic daily drives. Uh, just today, I read something, and um, I think it. Um, I'm not sure it was Autoblog. I think. This surprised me. I throw this in only because we're talking about uh, premium vehicles. Everybody's familiar with the Buick Tour X, the the Opel-based station wagon that Buick's been selling now, I guess, for about a year and a half, two years. Yeah, two years, I would say. You know, we all it, it, a nice alternative to the Subaru Outback. Did you know it's actually selling well? Because I had heard they had some horrific, you know, very high discounts on it. Apparently, it's about. I've forgotten the number, but it's like small compared to their SUVs, but it's selling better than they expected. So any people out there that long for station wagons, there's not too many of them left. Uh, but between the Subaru Outback and this new Tour X, both, well, of course, with all-wheel drive, it looks like it's got some life in it. Not sure what's going to happen when that particular model runs out because Opel's no longer part of GM, but it's interesting. Uh, thanks, Stephanie. Uh, anyone else got any 
other questions about anything new that's in right now before we move along to our lightning round? I'm ready to move. All right. Um, we give each other, no one has a, a watch on it, but about 30 seconds to talk about a trending automotive topic. And after that, somebody else will just interrupt. Here we go. Ford has invested about $500 million in Rivian. And this is the EV startup that brought us the all-electric R1T pickup truck and the R1S SUV back in 2018, uh, last fall at the LA Auto Show. Yeah, Good-looking really stuff. Good. Mm -hmm. In exchange for the investment, Rivian will help develop a future battery electric vehicle for Ford, hint, hint, F-150. Good investment for Ford. I mean, this is the company that already had a lot of Amazon money in it. Um, they've shown a couple vehicles. What do you think? Have they got a, a chance? Is this, a, you know, just a, someone trying to play catch up for, against folks like Tesla? What do you think? Sure, it's a good idea to partner with someone else and uh, share the development cost. Uh, and if it goes into a truck, I mean, that's a win-win. We just talked about nobody buying sedans. All right. Uh, SUVs and trucks are over 70% now. Uh, of sales. So, yeah, why not? You know, in one week, that story went from GM was going to invest in them to Ford giving them 500 million bucks. What I haven't heard is whether there was a, a bidding war, but obviously <laughs> people must think their technology is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. And their styling is yeah. impressive. Their styling's terrific. I saw both of them in person at the LA mm -hmm. Auto Show, and I was blown away. And you should have seen the crowds of people surrounding them. What they are forgetting, however, is how difficult it's going to be to make a pickup truck with electric engine and all the batteries you have to have have any kind of endurance and actually become the cap uh, you know highly capable. I mean, as a something like a Honda Ridgeline replacement, sure, you know that right. that's a, a very light duty vehicle. Unless so they got some serious plans for some new battery. Technology. Something that we don't know yet. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> but go ahead. I mean, they got the bed back there. I mean, there's plenty of space. I mean, they could make the whole bed out of batteries. I mean, I don't think it'd be that difficult, really. And when you really think about it, most people don't carry that much in the back of a pickup truck anyway. I mean, I've got a, an old Ford Ranger, and I would say the heaviest thing we ever carry is probably about, well, it would be a, a lo big load of mulch. So what's that? Maybe 1,000 pounds? Not that much. Yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of places for batteries, like you're saying. You could even go mm -hmm. between the back of the cab and the bed, fill that whole area up. I don't know about making a bed floor out of batteries because that could get some rough service, but I understand where you're going. And then the batteries are getting denser, so theoretically you might need fewer in the future. Um, I, as I was talking to um, uh, one of our compatriots, and he said, you know, really – Companies like Ford, GM, they, they can't afford not to invest in this technology. And I think when everybody says, why are they all getting ready to build so many all-electric vehicles? Because the world's going that way, even though the U.S. isn't. You know, in the U.S., we're just not getting onto that all-electric bandwagon, and we're not being forced to do it like they are in, say, China and in many European countries. So the so car makers, we're getting there, I mean, we're more, getting there just yeah. a much, much slower pace problem. More, more options, more, more people are asking about us all the time. So, I mean, we're getting there. It's not going to happen overnight. And Stephanie was, hasn't seen it yet, but, you know, it, when Cadillac was unveiling the uh, CT4V and CT5V, you know, they, GM was also talking about their new electric architecture, which Cadillac will probably be the first to use that. Uh, at least on an all-electric vehicle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Didn't they say Cadillac was going to be their all-electric brand at some point? That's That seems yeah. to us where they're headed. 
Okay, uh, viewer question. This is an interesting one because it really sort of depends on your mindset and also how heavy the traffic is. Uh, this comes from Charles, who writes us, what's the most cost-effective way of getting up to speed, like when you're entering a highway via a ramp or accelerating from a stoplight? Some say it's getting up to speed quickly, so there's less time spent accelerating, whereas others contend best to slowly and gradually accelerate. Okay. What do you think? Uh, it depends on the car, personally, but, I mean, just go by your tack. You know, the harder you're working your engine, the more gas you're burning. For the most part, uh, hybrids, I think, are the exception. I think you get those things up to speed in a hurry, and then you can back off and use pretty much all battery power from there. Uh, again, it depends. Big V8s, you know, you get those up to speed uh, pretty quickly as well. So uh, it depends on the vehicle, I think. Benny, any comment? Well, that's a tough one, but generally I would have to say um, getting up to speed quickly would be your least efficient way. I think that's correct. I mean, the heavier you are on the throttle, uh, but think about this. Get pulling away from the stoplights one thing because you've got the road ahead of you and ostensibly nobody else there. When you're pulling onto a, a ramp on an interstate, if you do it slowly, you're probably going to get killed. I think so. Yeah, I would put cost <laughs> in the yeah, back, back burner abide, for those situations. <laughs> you know, I think the, the whole idea behind um, merging lanes on an interstate was to be up to speed of the main flow of traffic when you merge in. Mm -hmm. so, so, Charles, I think really, you know, if you want to save money, be light on the throttle, but don't get yourself killed just to save a couple of tenths of a cent. <laughs> Rant and rave. Anybody got something that uh, is gnawing at them? Lately, or, or or something they just them. just can't <laughs> understand why not everybody doesn't do it. Sounded then that now that sounded like you had something. No, uh, I, no, I, I've got no. A, I've got a rave, but right. I don't you know unless somebody's well, got it. Everybody loves rants more. Has anybody got a rant? I got nothing. All right, I'm just going right. to drop my rave then. Good. <clears throat> I am super impressed with. Um, we've done a piece on Radwood, mm -hmm. and, and they had the other one. What? A weekend ago or so, as we're taping this, or is it coming up? And there's one this weekend in that's Jersey. That's right. That's the yeah. one I'm thinking of. I just love how that 80s and 90s culture is getting uh, recognized and appreciated. And we were talking about all these BMWs. The more and more tech that's getting forced on us, the more and more I think these analog cars, as they're being called, are going to gain in popularity. And I think it's awesome that people that aren't in the cars can just run out and get like a 90s old Cutlass Sierra and they can dress up 90s and go to these shows and celebrate everything 80s and 90s. I, I love it. I think it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> just when you thought nostalgia was dead. Because now I got that Miata with a CD player. Yeah, the yeah, there he goes. So now there's this surge in old uh, uh, audio equipment. like Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Six-disc sure. changers and people love wow. cassettes now and that stuff's getting huge. Well, I you know, my... We have a huge selection at home of CDs, and my next car will probably not have a CD player. So I've already, I went out and found, you know, an old 80s, um, not Walkman, but something close to it, uh, so I could at least plug it in and listen to CDs. And I'll, they'll probably bring back a five-disc changer, if it's not already back, that you can put into the glove box. So great. What goes around comes around Because you really can't beat the, the audio. No, you can't. I well, mean, Unless you have those really high-file music things, but... Let's face it. You can't go to the library and get those, but you can get CDs from your library. And I don't know who's got the time to put all their old CDs onto their um, uh, phones. I guess if you have Amazon Prime, you're okay, but other, for the rest of us. And then your tech's just going to 
rejected anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a good rave. We hadn't had a rave in a long time. And that wraps up our MotorWeek podcast number 206. And by the way, this is recorded. So we were talking about an event this weekend. Probably will already have happened by the time you hear this. Thanks to our audio engineer. David Wainwright is back there at the controls today. Our podcast producer, Greg Carlos, who's not with us today. He's off gallivanting around the country, driving a new car somewhere. And podcast creator, the one and only Bob Mixter. Thanks to everybody out there that watches Motor Week on both your local public television station and also the Motor Trend cable network. If you want to know more about Motor Week, go to our website, motorweek.org or .com. You can get us either way. Until next time, for all of us at Motor Week, Thanks very much for listening to this podcast and make your next drive be a memorable one. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com, State Farm, and TireRack.com. <laughs>